Hi, I'm Tim. And I'm Maddie. And we're going to read the second Bible passage for today. And it comes from John chapter 16, verse 17 to 33. So follow along in your Bibles with us. Some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? And because I am going to the Father. They kept asking, What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more? And then after a little while you will see me. I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, A time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and even that you do not need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. You believe at last, Jesus answered, but a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Hello, my name's Ollie. I'm one of the ministers here at St. Stephen's. It's great to be with you today. It's time for our sermon now. As we work through the passage, it'd be great if you kept your Bible open. It's a long passage, and so we'll be referring to the text a lot. So it'd be great if you keep that open. But as we begin, I'm going to pray. So please pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can gather together still online, even though not in person. We thank you that we can still sing praises to your name. We can hear your word read out and we can respond in prayer. And now we can hear your word preached. We ask that as we do that now, you might be at work amongst us, guiding us in truth through your Holy Spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder, where do you go for comfort? in hard times. When things are tough, where do you look for comfort? I suspect for lots of us, there's all sorts of different answers we would give to that question. Some of us find comfort in food. We binge eat a block of chocolate or a tub of ice cream, and by doing so, that kind of helps us to deal with the, com- with the hard times we're facing. And that's why there's that term, comfort food. If 
For others, I suspect we find comfort in the arms of family or friends. We go to them and we find comfort by companionship. For others, I suspect we find comfort by zoning out, by sitting in front of our favourite TV show, The Office or Seinfeld, and we just zone out from all the, uh, all the distractions and all the difficulties of life. And for others, I'm sure it's something else. See, there's all sorts of different ways that we deal with hardship, all sorts of different ways of finding comfort. And what, what we see in our passage today is Jesus tells us how to find comfort in the face of the hardships of the Christian life, because our passage is particularly aimed at Christians. So if you're a non-Christian joining us today, welcome along. It's great to have you. But do realize that this passage is particularly speaking to Christians. And so what we'd love it is if you listen in and you get an, a full picture of what the Christian life looks like. You see the difficulties associated with it, but you also see the great blessings associated with us with it. But for those of us who are Christians, what we see today is Jesus tells us what to expect as Christians and how to cope with the hardships associated with that. See, it's up to the final part of Jesus' final lesson. He's in the upper room discourse and he's giving his disciples the final lesson before he leaves. And in that, he doesn't pull any punches. He tells them life will be difficult. If they want to follow after Jesus, it will be a costly discipleship. There'll be pain and tears and hardship associated with following after Jesus. But even though it's a costly discipleship, they're not alone in it. It's also a partnered discipleship. They have someone to go with them. And ultimately, it's also a worthwhile partnership, a worthwhile discipleship. And so that's what we see in John chapter 15 and 16. We see what the Christian life is like. It's a costly discipleship. It's a partnered discipleship. And it's a worthwhile discipleship. And if we understand all of that, then it will help us to cope with the difficulties of the Christian life. And so to begin with, it's a costly discipleship. Jesus tells us if we want to follow after him, then the world will hate us. Why? Well, because we live in a hostile world, a world that hated Jesus and hates anyone who follows after him. Did you see that in the text? Have a look at chapter 15, verses 18 to 19. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would have loved you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, and I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. These are strong words. Jesus says, if we follow after him, the world will hate us. And it will hate us because we belong to Jesus, not to the world. And the world hated Jesus. And now uh, that might seem difficult for many of us in the 21st century to understand. There's this uh, picture going around of who Jesus was. And it seems like that common kind of misconception about him is that he was a hippie type guy who uh, went around loving people and telling others to love each other. And now, uh, if that's all that Jesus was, then it would make sense. Of course, no one would hate that. But that's not who Jesus was. Now, elements of it are true. Jesus did tell others to love everyone. But he did so much more than that. See, they hated Jesus because he confronted them with their sin. He called them out for the way that they look down on others and think so highly of themselves. 
He challenged them about their lack of love, their lack of love for others and their lack of love for God. He rebuked them about the way that they were trying to turn a relationship with God into merely a set, a list of rules to obey. See, Jesus challenged them about their sin and their rebellion against God, and they hated him for it. So much so that they eventually killed him for it. The world hated Jesus. And in the same way, it will hate us. Because we, as Jesus' servants, as Jesus' followers, are not greater than the master. Did you see that in the text? Have a look. Verse 20. Remember what I've told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. See, if they did this to Jesus, then of course they'll do it to us who follow after Jesus. It's a costly discipleship to follow him. Uh, J.C. Ryle, a famous Christian minister, talks about this and this is what he says. It does cost something to be a real Christian according to the standards of the Bible. There are enemies to be overcome, battles to be fought, sacrifices to be made, an Egypt to be forsaken, a wilderness to be passed through, a cross to be carried, a race to be run. Conversion is not putting a man in an armchair and taking him easily to heaven. It is the beginning of a mighty conflict in which it costs much to win the victory. Following Jesus is a costly discipleship. It'll cost us our status. People will, uh, the world will see us as being foolish for believing that we're sinners in need of forgiveness, a forgiveness that can only be found in Jesus on the cross. It'll cost us our reputation. The world will see us as narrow-minded for thinking that a marriage is only between a man and a woman. It'll cost us our careers. People will, the world will rebuke us for daring to express our Christian faith, even on our person, own personal time. And we see that at the moment with a case in Melbourne about a doctor called Dr. Jareth Coe. He's had his medical license revoked or suspended simply for proclaiming the truth that Christians believe, not for any kind of malpractice, not for any kind of discrimination. In fact, the investigation into it found there was no evidence at all that he discriminated against anyone. There was no evidence of doing his job poorly. He's been dismissed simply for holding and stating the Christian belief. Being a disciple of Jesus is a costly discipleship. Why? Well, because the world is at odds with God. The world doesn't know or doesn't like God, the one who sent Jesus. We see it in the passage quite a bit, verse 21, 23, 24. Have a look. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. And verse 23, whoever hates me hates my father as well. And verse 24, as it is, they have seen my miracles and teaching, and yet they have hated both me and my father. This is the core of it. They rejected Jesus because they didn't know or love the one who sent him. And in the same way, they'll reject us because they don't know or love God, the one who's at the heart of all that we do. And so we shouldn't be surprised that following after Jesus will be a costly discipleship. To live for the one who sent Jesus and who loves us is a costly thing because the world doesn't know God and doesn't like God. And now we might be wondering, why is Jesus saying this to his disciples at this point? Why isn't he going to tell them later? Or why hasn't he told them earlier? But we see Jesus kind of answer that here in our passage. He says he hasn't told them yet because up until this point, he's been with them. And so up until this point, he's borne the bulk of the costs. 
but he's about to leave, killed by the world that hates him. And so now he wants to leave his disciples with a clear picture of what it looks like to follow after him. Have a look at chapter 16, verse 4. I've told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. He's warning them. He wants them to be prepared for the cost. And it will be a big cost, so big that they'll be cast out of the synagogues, that people will even kill them and think they're doing an act for God. Did you see that in verses 1 and 2? Have a look with me. All this I've told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. And isn't that what we see around us? When we see cases like Dr. Ko, we see persecution of God's people. They think that they're doing the world such a great service. They're doing this incredible moral act. They're doing a good act for the greater good of humanity. See, there will be a cost involved in following Jesus. There'll be pain and tears and sadness. There'll be persecution. It is a costly discipleship. So if that's the case, then why on earth would we follow Jesus? Why on earth would we want to be his disciple? Well, it's because of two things. It's because we have a partner, we're not in it alone. And it's because it's actually a worthwhile thing. It's actually a good deal. And so to begin with, we have a partner. We're not in it alone. Verse seven, God gives us a helper to accompany us as we go through this world, a partner in crime. It's a partnered discipleship. And now we all know the goodness of having a partner, someone to go alongside us. For my final two years of uh, Bible college, I was living down in Geelong while studying in Box Hill. So that's a two hour journey each way. But in God's kindness, I had some another student, Matt, who I mentioned last week, was also living down in Geelong. And so uh, we did the two hour commute each way together. And so it was, it was a great time. We would uh, chat together as we went in the car about what we'd learned at church that week or what we'd learned at classes. We'd uh, eat snacks together when we got hungry. We'd share the driving when one of us got tired. It's great to have someone, a partner to do that with. And in the same way, that's what this partner is like, only better. He doesn't uh, chat with us or share snacks or share driving. No, he does so much more for us. And there's lots that he does do, but our passage picks up on two particular things. Did you see it in there? The first is that he's at work in the world around us. Have a look at verse 8. When the helper comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. This partner that we have is at work in the world, convicting it of its rejection of Jesus, convicting it of its sin and rebellion against God. He'll condemn the world and he'll judge the world. Our partner is at work in this world around us. It's a partnered discipleship. But he's not just at work in the world around us, he's also at work inside us. Did you see that in the passage? Have a look at verse 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. This partner guides us into truth, the truth about who Jesus is, the truth about who God is, and the truth about who we are as disciples of 
Jesus. And he'll help us as we seek to live that out. When we're tempted to be closet Christians, our partner reminds us of the truth that God hasn't given us a spirit of timidity, but has given us a spirit of boldness to proclaim who Jesus is. When we're feeling low and worn out, when we're feeling worn down by the costs we face as a disciple of Jesus, he'll remind us of the truth, the truth that we are not alone, the truth that it is worth it. When we're feeling like we're about to break under that cost, our partner reminds us of the truth, the truth that God is with us and God will sustain us. See, we're not in this alone. It's a partnered discipleship. And that partner helps us to remember that it's also a worthwhile discipleship. It's all worth it. The cost is outweighed by the joy that is to come. And to help us understand this, Jesus uses the illustration of a woman giving birth. Have a look at verse 21. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. We all know that uh, giving birth is a painful thing. Cassie, my wife, is due in a couple of months, and so I wanted to get a bit of a, a heads up about what to expect for it. So I googled, how painful is it to give birth? And uh, this is, these are some of the quotes that I found as I did. One lady said, uh, my labor pain felt like my hips were being pulled apart. Another said it was like someone kept reaching up deep inside me, grabbing hold of whatever internal organs they could and trying to tug them out. Another simply said it was like someone stabbing me in the stomach, uh, which was well a great encouragement to hear this just a few months before Cassie gives birth. But nevertheless, we know that that's what giving birth is like. Now, of course, uh, some pregnancies and some births are easier than others, but nevertheless, Giving birth is always marked by anguish and pain and challenge. But how quickly all that sorrow and pain is forgotten when the baby comes. How quickly it's all forgotten when you hold that little one in your arms. When you look down and see this face twitching and smiling. All the joy far outweighs the cost by a million fold. Now, it's not to say that there's not genuine pain involved. Of course there is. It's just that in comparison, the pain is nothing compared to the joy. And in the same way for us, even though there is great cost now, it's all worth it. It is a worthwhile discipleship. Why can we say that? Well, we can say that because a day is coming when we'll see Jesus. A day is coming when we will see him face to face. Verse 22. And that day will outweigh the cost by a million fold. On that day, we'll bask in the love of God the Father. Did you see that in verse 27? Have a look. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. This is what we had to look forward to, the love of the Father poured out on us on that day. Poured out on us because we love Jesus, because we follow after Jesus, because we believe that Jesus came from God. And on that day, the joy of that love will far outweigh any cost we've faced now. The Christian life is a worthwhile discipleship. And we can say all of that because of verse 33. Have a look. Verse 33. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. 
I have overcome the world. By dying in our place, by rising again to defeat death and by ascending to the Father. Jesus has won victory for us. We can be assured of that victory because Jesus has overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the costs and the schemes of the world. And so all we have left to come is the joy of that victory. And it will be a joy, the joy of an eternity in God's love, an eternity basking in God's graciousness and goodness, an eternity basking in God's kindness and care. And that's why we can say, even though the Christian life is difficult, even though it's a costly discipleship, it's also a worthwhile discipleship. And so when you're feeling the cost, when the burden feels heavy, then take heart and look to the end. Look to the end and know that Jesus has overcome. When you feel isolated and so different from all of those around you, feel lonely, then take heart. Though in this world we will have troubles, take heart. Jesus has overcome. And one day all of our grief will be turned to joy. When your family is against the fact that you're a Christian and it's causing all sorts of tension and you just feel like you can't cope, then look to the end. Even though in this world we will have trouble. Take heart, Jesus has overcome the world. And one day all of our grief will turn to joy. When your friends at school make fun of you for being a Christian and believing what we believe, then look to the end. Even though in this world we will have trouble, take heart. Jesus has overcome the world and one day all of our grief will turn to joy. When you're in danger of losing your job because of your Christian values, because of your Christian beliefs, then look to the end. Even though in this world we'll have troubles, take heart. Jesus has overcome. And one day all of our grief will turn to joy. As Christians, we live a costly life. And so where do we find comfort? Where can we find comfort in the face of such enormous cost? We find comfort by looking to the end. Though in this world, we will have trouble. We take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. And one day, all of our grief will turn to joy. And what a marvellous day that will be. I'm going to pray and thank God for that. Please pray with me.